All right. Um, so does anyone here like the Avengers movies? Has anyone ever seen the Avengers movies at all? Okay. Uh, I mean, um, Sally and I really like them. Waiting for our girls to get in a cer- to get a certain age where they can they can wa- uh, watch them with us at some point. Not quite the age yet. Um, but uh, yeah, the Avengers movies, man, they're awesome. Uh, I think what ultimately <laughs> we'll get this thing going. I think what ultimately uh, I-, I like about it is this: it's the battle of good versus evil, right? And I think that um, for most people, most of us, and, and we-, we grow up, uh, we read books, we watch movies, you know, we see that theme a lot, right? Good versus evil. Uh, and so we're going to, going to kind of check that out today in Psalm chapter 1. Thank you, Miss Shirley, for reading that to us today uh, during a scripture reading. Um, the next several weeks, uh, probably at least 15 weeks, uh, we'll be doing Psalms, okay? Um, and uh, we're in Psalm 1 today. And the scripture reading will always be, uh, will always be from, um, uh, from what the, the psalm that we're doing that day. So uh, sometimes, some weeks, right after the, real, the during this intro, um, I'm going to kind of geek out a little bit. Y'all know what that means? Geek out, nerd out a little. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a little little deep on some stuff. Not much today, but I can definitely tell you next week in, in Psalm two we will we'll we'll geek out a little bit. But um, not gonna geek out much much on this. But I will give you just a little bit of background. It's what um, theologians call a wisdom psalm. Okay, now you're like, well, gosh, there's a lot of wisdom. We think Proverbs, we think wisdom, of course. Um, you know, Solomon, King Solomon. Um, but this is what they categorize as a wisdom psalm. And there's all sorts of different categories that, that, they, uh, that, that they have for the 150 psalms. Um, it's, the, it's at the beginning uh, of, of, the, of the Psalter. Um, and it's kind of, what you'll see is it's combined with Psalm chapter 2. When we go next week... We see the end of Psalm chapter 2, and you can even look there if you want. Um, it, it seems to be that it was on purpose put together to be like, uh, to be a group, to be a joint uh, psalm, one and two together. Um, kind of interesting. Now, the, um, the, and, and it's also uh, been kind of said that uh, Psalms 1 and 2 are the gateway to the rest of the psalms. Okay? Uh, and so it's kind of interesting, or I felt like it was interesting. Um, this psalm is going to draw our attention to two people or two paths. Uh, there is a way of the righteous and a way of the wicked or ungodly, whatever your version uh, might might say, uh, what, what your version of the Bible. Now notice uh, there's no room for like a third area, all right? Uh, there's not like a middle ground here. There's, there's two paths and there's not a middle. Now we like the middle because that's a great area. Uh, and humans kind of like that, but there is not one, okay? And so we realize that um, the Bible is very clear. There, there are two ways here. So with all this said, let us begin our passage uh, right now. Let's begin by starting with chapter 1 with this main statement in mind. Uh, in Psalm 1, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked are contrasted. Now we know compare and contrast. I know that from uh, growing up. You know, contrast means the difference. Okay, So we're looking at, uh, at the differences between uh, the wicked and the righteous. And then it just went away, I think. All right. Looks like it did. Gone? All gone. Okay. All right. Psalm chapter 1. I'm going to read it again. I'm reading from the CSB. It says, How happy is the one who does not walk in that vice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and whose leaves do not, does not wither. 
Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like shaft that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Psalm 1, may uh, God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Now, do you remember the first time when you were in school, when, um, you're, when you're in, in like English class or reading class, and they told you to find the main idea? Y'all, can y'all think back that far and remember... Uh, you know that, and we always liked it when the first sentence was the main idea because it was easy. You know, like yeah, I got this man, I got this main idea stuff. It's easy. You know, <laughs> bring me something else, teacher. Just ain't nothing. But then, and then they started with this weird paragraph where sometimes it was in the middle, all right, or it was at the end. You're like, no, no, that can't be. Why is it at the end? Like it didn't make sense. I don't know about you all, but for me, it didn't make any sense. I'm like, what? Okay, so and of course I taught English for a long time, and, and that was the case. But uh, and we were a little bit confused whenever it was the last the last sentence. Well, this is actually one of those poems or or passages where the last verse is actually the key to understanding. Uh, if you read, so we're going to actually, if you look back in verse six, you'll see that that's actually the key to the whole chapter. So it's almost like we have to read it in reverse. We're not going to do it that way because I'd be confused just like you will be. You would be, but not, but if you look at verse six, so start with verse six. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. And that's going to be your main your main idea. Um, the, and, and again, it's contrasted. Which one do we want to be? Uh, now, uh, as we look through the Psalms, uh, you know, first off, let me just say, let me encourage you, um, you know, to it's always a great thing to just read through the Psalms. I don't know if you're doing a Bible reading plan for your devotion, but, um, you know, just reading Psalms is great, especially when, when it comes to prayer. Uh, you know, you can read through the Psalms, and that can be your prayer uh, to prayer to God. Uh, it's a re- I encourage you to try that sometime. Um, but as we go through this, I want you to understand because I have to do the same thing with me, and that is that when we see kind of things like this, like um, Jesus was able to do these things. Okay, He is the He's, he's uh, God, the Son. He's perfect. He's able to live. He lived that perfect life that we can't live. Okay, so I still want to point you back to that fact. Okay, yes, we want to strive. We want to strive to, to live holy life and, and not be wicked. All right? um, but Jesus was the only one who fulfilled this perfectly. Okay? And so we want to always remember, remember that. Now, um, to, we're also going to see that we want to avoid walking, standing, and sitting with the wicked. Okay, uh, is, is simply to avoid participation in their way of life. Now, we're going to look at that in just a minute. Uh, so now, let's look at verse by verse. I want to give credit uh, to J. Vernon McGee. I, mean, I know J. Vernon McGee. Uh, he, I have uh, his, his commentary is very helpful to me as I study. Um, and uh, he, he says uh, th- this following outline, which will be the outline I'll use today. And you'll see it up on the screen on the top. It'll have the three, you know, what, whichever point we're on. Uh, uh, number one is going to be the practice of the blessed man. And then we're going to look at the power of the blessed man. And then we're going to end with the permanency of the blessed man. So I will keep my Baptist preacher card because it's all in, uh, it's all start with the same letter P. Okay. Uh, so uh, an alliteration. I don't know why that is, but you know, that's always been the case in all my growing up. So the KJV, the King James Version in the ESV starts off. What, how does, if you have one of those, how does, how does your psalm start off? What's the first word? Blessed. Blessed. Now, um, CSB actually changes that to how happy, but that's it, it means the same thing, okay? Uh, but blessed, um, it express the word that word for happy or blessed expresses the sense of joy and satisfaction in one's state or circumstances. 
And it's often the result of blessing that comes from trust in and obedience to the Lord. So that's how that word is being used, okay? So it is actually translated well, happy. Happy is that person. Now, ladies, uh, realize happy is the man. We're talking about everybody. Happy is the person, okay? I, uh, I have to always say that. Um, and so I love that what Charles Spurgeon says about this because it says, uh, how happy is the one, or blessed is the man. I like that what, what uh, Spurgeon says. He says, it is not blessed is the king, blessed is the scholar, blessed is the rich, but blessed is the man, all right? the person, the woman. The blessedness is as attainable by the poor, the forgotten, and the obscure as by those whose names figure in history. Right, what, a, what a great comment. So keep that is for everybody, okay, which I love that because, and this is where Christianity is inclusive. You've heard me say that a lot late, lately. It's, it's both inclusive and exclusive. And it, but everybody can come to Jesus, but it has to be through Jesus, all right? And so you know, uh, this is where Christianity is inclusive. So number one, the practice of the blessed man. Like, what's the practice? What does his life look like uh and we see in verse one and, and by the way before we get there um if you went to school if you taught and some of you guys taught for a while uh sometimes when you're defining something you define it in terms of opposites right okay it's a good way of of of, of explaining the definition of something we look at the opposites of it and then we get an idea of of what uh, that that definition what that word means well kind of the same type thing uh here is that we we see that uh what a righteous man does not do does not do there in verse 1. All right? If you look at it, there's a couple things that, uh, that a righteous man does not do. Walk in that vice of the wicked, stand in the pathway of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Now, you may have already noticed, you're already tracking with me. Do you see a progression there at all? Did anyone see that? I mean, there's a progression from 1 to 3, from, from the first thing to the last one. Uh, Psalm, verse tw- Psalm chapter, chapter 26, verses 4 and 5 says, I do not sit with the worthless or associate with hypocrites. I hate a crowd of evil doers, and I do not sit with the wicked. In Jeremiah 15, verse 17, it says, I never sat with a band of revelers, and I did not celebrate with them because your hand was on me. I sat alone, for you filled me with indignation. So it, it's a progression. First, uh, the, the, the man associates with the ungodly. And then he gets in with the sinners, and then he joins in with the scornful. And so it's a progression we need to be very, very wary of. McGee McGee puts it this way. He says, we can say these speak of thinking, behaving, and belonging. Zaphon is very, very insightful. Um, The righteous man, he goes on to say, the righteous man and the ungodly man are different in how they think, how they behave, and to whom they belong. This progression, again, is very dangerous and slippery. So we first listen to that vice and then of, of ungodly, and then maybe we start to saddle up next to them, and then next thing you know, we're sitting with them, probably doing the same thing they're doing. Okay? So that, that progression. Um, Clark, the uh, theologian Clark, said, The great lesson to be learned from the whole is sin is progressive. One evil propensity or act leads to another. He who acts by bad counsel may, sing, may soon do evil deeds, and he who abandons himself to evil doings may end his life in total apostasy from God, which is what some people think that last part means, like atheism. Okay? Some theologians believe. So again, first he associates with, with the ungodly, does not walk in that vice of the wicked. Now that counsel, uh, uh, the counsel or advice, um, you know, it, even Jesus himself didn't refer to his own mind as a basis of his decisions. He would say, if it is the will of my Father. So uh, 
you know, there's all sorts of help nowadays, right? Self-help or advice or counsel that we can go to. But is it godly counsel? I, I, I'm guessing a lot of it in the world is not, right? Uh, you hear a lot of crazy advice sometimes. But we are to walk by faith and not to listen to the counsel of ungodly people. Second Corinthians 5, 17, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Amen? Uh, in addition, as we're walking by faith, we shouldn't worry what they say about us either. Oh, man. All right. Y'all know Dabo Sweeney? He's a, he's a coach at Clemson University. I'm a Gator fan, but I, I like him as a person. He's a, he's a Christian, and I, I appreciate that. Uh, there's a lot of coaches that are Christians, by the way. But anyway, uh, but he made this comment. He says, um, you don't worry about criticism from people you wouldn't seek advice from. Some pretty good, pretty good uh, um, stuff there. But anyway, so and it goes back to advice and advice of the uh, of the ungodly. Uh, and then after that, he gets in with the sinners. So he stands in the pathway with sinners. All right. Now, uh, sin means to miss the mark. All right. And and we know Proverbs fourteen two says there is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is a way to death. Or in Proverbs sixteen verse two, all the person's way seems right to them to him, but the Lord weighs the motives. Um, he, he may think he is okay, but he is a sinner. Uh, and we are all sinners, and God laid on Jesus our iniquity. So we need to take sin seriously. Like Isaiah 53, 6 tells us about that. That we all like, uh, have went away like sheep, went astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for iniquity of us all. So we must take sin um, seriously. And so we have the advice of the ungodly. Then we have uh, the joining in with the scornful. Um, and these are people who downright deny the existence of a holy God. So be careful lest you think too highly of yourself. I've, I've been guilty of doing that from time to time. Uh, or that we, I may think that I know more than I do because in Proverbs it tells us that he mocks those he mocks and gives grace to the humble. You know, look at the word pathway with me. Uh, um, the pathway. Uh, it speaks of, of a road, a, uh, a direction. Okay? Um, a way, something that you would walk on. Okay? Uh, and so I love that idea of uh, direction. Um, one of my favorite poems was you know, the one by Robert Frost, and they were uh, The Road Less Traveled By. All right, I chose that, and that and it has made all the difference. You know, uh, I'm not going to recite the whole poem because I don't have it memorized, but, you, uh, but we know that the righteous man is not afraid to take a less traveled road. Uh, because he knows it leads to blessing, happiness, and eternal life. What does, it, what does Matthew say about entering through the narrow gate? You know, um, for the gate is wide and the road broad, it leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. And the righteous can have confidence of Psalm 16, verse 11. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. Amen. I love that. God has a path, and it is a good road to take. It's a path of life. But... Let's just be honest here for a second. How many of us have tried it our way? Right? We've tried it our way, and, and boy, it didn't, it didn't work out too well for us, did it? Okay? I thought I had things all figured out when I was 17, 18 years old. I'm going to go and I'm going to go be an accountant like my uncle, you know, and, and, or, and I'm going to you know, make all this money. Right? And then I got saved, and then it's like, nope, that's not going to happen. Okay? Uh, you know, and so I thought I had everything figured out. Um, but uh, you know, when you when you're living for Christ, like oh my goodness, um, there's direction. Yeah, and and even sometimes it's hard to figure out where to go. God still leads us. God still directs us. But listen to what Charles Spurgeon says about being all out. He says, "Be out and out for Him." 
He says, unfurl your colors, never hide them, but nail them to the mass and say to all who ridicule the saints, if you have any ill words for the followers of Christ, pour them out upon me. But know this, you shall hear it whether you like it or not. I love Christ. In other words, there's no denying what Charles Spurgeon thought. And, uh, and I would love to have that same boldness as he had. Uh, there's an old saying that I find very, very true. Uh, there's two things that I know. I heard a preacher say this before, and I've used it many times myself. There's two things I'm sure of. There is a God, and I'm not Him. Okay? Uh, and I may not be sure of a lot of things, but I know that. Uh, and also notice that this man's position has nothing to do with it. Okay? His character has everything to do with it. His character. The tragic folly and the sin of the wicked is that they have neglected the thing to be remembered. Namely, that there's a God. Right? They forget that main thing, uh, that they are creatures, and being His creatures ought to live for Him. But the wicked or ungodly, they forget that. They give God no part of their lives, and He has none of their thoughts. The godly man, however, does, consider, does not consider first how the world regards a thing, but how God looks at it. Amen? Now we see what the blessed man does in verse 2. Look at verse 2 as we go through it. Instead, his delight is in what? The Lord's instruction. And he meditates on it when? Day and night. Last time I checked, that's all the time. There's no any day or night. Okay? You know, there's not any part of the day where it's not day or night when it's not night. It's day or night. Okay? All right? Um, and so, and, and this is, uh, I love this part. All right, the righteous man knows where to find completely godly counsel. See, the wicked, they're searching and they're looking for this or that, or maybe I can go to this person that's going to read some stars for me or something all right, and tell me, or horoscope and, you know, and all those type things. But the righteous man knows, or the blessed man knows where to go. Right? Psalm 119 verse 24 says, Your decrees are my delight and my counselor. See that again, his delight is in the Lord's instructions. God's Word is always the best counselor. And I think there are two main things. You look at verse 2. If, it, if I were your English teacher, I'd ask you what two things kind of stand out. And I think after I would, ask, it wouldn't take this group long because this is a smart group with a bunch of former teachers as well. Uh, but I think if you look at that verse, the two main things are delight and meditation. All right? Delight and meditation. Let's look, let's look at delight for a second. First uh, John 5 verse 33 says, For this is what... Uh, with what love for God is, to keep His commands. And His commands are not a burden. Right? And see, I've, I've heard some people say, you know, like, man, you know, well, gosh, if we talk about forgiveness all the time, then people are going to think, well, man, it's just a license to sin. And I just, I just firmly believe that if you truly love Christ, that you're going to delight in Him anyway. And you're going to... And, and, doesn't mean you're not going to sin, but you want to please God. And you're going to feel, you're going to feel awfully bad when you do. You know? Because it's not a license of sin. It's a it's because his commands are not burdensome. They're a delight. They're a delight to us. Amen. If a person delights in something, you don't have to beg them to do it, right? You don't have to beg. You know, uh, you don't have to beg Mr. Tommy to watch uh, to watch some racing. I bet you kind of like that a little bit, don't you? A little bit. Yep. Right. I mean, somebody who likes fishing, you don't have to beg that person to go fishing. He's gonna go fishing. You know, uh, and so you can measure the, the, the delight for the word of God by how much. You hunger for it. J. Vernon McGee says, I wish I could get the message over to folk that the Bible is a thrilling book. It's not a burden. It's not boring. Amen to that. Delight here is a gravitational pull towards something that deeply satisfies you. That's what that word means. It's not just liking something. It's being pulled to that thing. 
And it may have been like that. You may have, you remember when you first came to Christ? Right? And that, that drawing is kind of like that. Martin Luther once said that he could not live in paradise without the Word of God, but he could live well enough in hell with it. What a powerful statement. Right? Loving and delighting in the Word of God. Now let's look at the idea of meditation. Now the idea of meditation, this is tough. I think even tougher nowadays uh, in, in our current generation or current state of things. Uh, this state. Y'all got me? All right. Um, so let, let's look at this idea of meditation. Um, it requires thought. It requires time. Okay? It's not convenient. Okay? Um, and, and maybe that doesn't sound appealing. Microsoft did a study in 2015 and, and found that uh, 15 years into the iPhone revolution, the average human attention span had diminished from 12 seconds to 8 seconds. 12 seconds is not a great place to start. Eight seconds is a devastating place to be. Uh, they go on to say, one of the quotes from the study said, we are moving from a world where computing power was scarce to a place where it now is almost limitless and where the true scarce commodity is increasingly human attention. There's another statistic here that will hit everybody. The average American checks their phone, their iPhone, every four minutes. Now, there's some good to it. There is. All right, but wow, some pretty strong stuff there. So whenever I think of meditation, I also think about memorization, uh, which then leads me back to reading. So, you know, when you think meditate, you think about what you've read in the Word. And so it's like Psalm 119.11 says, I have treasured your Word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Or also in the King James says, I have hidden your Word in my heart that I may not sin against you. The, the, the idea of meditate actually is a picture of a cow chewing the cud. You ever seen, chow, uh, cow, chow. You ever chow, ever seen a cow chewing the cud? It takes time. It doesn't just happen like this. He's going to he's going to eat. He's going to you know regurgitate all that stuff. Don't mean to you know whatever, but uh, it, it takes time. The righteous man ponders the word of God. He does not just hear it and forget it. He thinks about it. Christians should meditate on God's word. We are to allow it, the word, to shape our lives. Amen. You see, there's no there's no shortcut to growing in Christ. There's no uh, fast forward program apart from His word. You know, and, and I've said it many times. Just whatever, whatever you do, just read it. You know, I, I do discipleship class with Hallie and, and Ethan, and I've done. You know, we, we just just read, it. read it. Find, first of all, find a Bible that you understand. You know, when I taught youth, uh, when I taught teenagers, I would tell them that. You know, even if it's at a church that you know the King James Version was the only thing that was being read, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying there's versions that you can understand a little bit. King James Version is a college reading level. Okay, all right. You get something, uh, something uh, a little bit less. To, you know, it'll be easier to read because I want my students to read. You know, I just want them to read it. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, there's. You know, we don't have time to get an old paraphrase and all that. I'm not really talking about that. But read the Word of God. Read it. You'll grow by going over the Word again and again. You're thinking until it becomes a part of your life. That is the practice of a happy man, according to Psalm chapter one. The righteous man only has God's word on his mind two times a day. It's only two times a day, but it's day and night. Right? So it should be all of us. That about covers it all. In Psalm 1, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked are contrasted. Let's go to point uh, number two. The power of the blessed man. 
In verse 3 it says, He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears his fruit in the season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Now, now we see how the righteous man is blessed. And, and if you're taking notes, underneath number 2 there are three things there about how he's blessed. He's planted, he bears fruit, and his leaves don't wither or fade. Where is he planted? Y'all see it? Where is he planted? By the streams of living water. By the flowing streams. Like, look, I, I'm not a farmer. My dad is. Okay? I was terrible at it. Alright? Um, he's still a farmer to this day. Blessed farmers. I'm not a horticulturist either. Um, you probably don't want me to try to grow some flowers for you. But I, I think I can probably get uh, this straight. Um, that's probably exactly where I would want to be planted if I were a tree. Okay, like, like just because things are simple, doesn't make, I've said it many times, doesn't make me less true. Okay, so uh, that's exactly where I want to be planted if I were a tree. Think about how many people do not have direction anymore. Or I, I even think of myself and how I changed my major like seven times in college. And, and I'm not saying that, that sometimes those things are tough because trying to discern God's will can be tough sometimes. But I do know that I want to be planted right there. Amen. See, a tree by a river has a continual source of water. It will never wither away because it's always getting what it needs. A commentator said, and this is kind of an oh me instead of an amen, if we are constantly needy, it may be worth examining if we are planted by the rivers of water or not. If we're constantly needy. Interesting comment. In addition, this would also be a tree that is strong and stable, sinking down deep roots. The life of the righteous man is marked by strength and stability. Is that you? Or are you tossed about here and there? You know what the Bible calls people who are tossed about here and there? Little children. So that's what he refers to those people. Little children. That's in uh, Ephesians 4 verse 14. Second one. So not only is it planted by the water, it bears fruit. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We see that it bears fruit. Does that sound familiar? Right. Uh, we should bear fruit, live for Christ in front of others at all times. Matthew verse, uh, chapter 3, verse, e, verse 8, uh, you see that he, uh, he says that John said to the Pharisees, therefore produce fruit consistent with repentance. Or in, in John chapter 15, the, the very, very popular passage about fruit, uh, where he says, I am the true vine. Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in you, in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. We just need to remember as we try to bear fruit, again, that it's not us, that it's all about God. He gives the growth. A lot, you know, and we talked about that in 1 Corinthians, how uh, Paul planted a polished water, but God gives the growth. And so you're planted by the water, you bear fruit, and then the leaves don't wither. And what are the leaves? It's the outside part, right? It's, it's, it's the visible outward testimony of the Christian. It's something that should be out all the time. Uh, McGee said that God's trees, us as Christians, are evergreens. They never lose their testimony. He also went on to describe a time, I thought this was a very uh, cool little story. See, he described a time when his friend attended a, a very famous church in New York. And he walked up, it was a very beautiful church, and there was a sign over the entrance that said, the gate of heaven. 
and then another sign underneath that said closed during July and August. And then he said, too often this happens in the lives of individual believers. We just shut off every now and then. Oh, I'm not open for business right now. I had this go on and I can't, you know, and I'm just I'm discouraged right now or whatever it may be. Or we may just really be going through a hard time. But it's like I've said so many times, I mean, they, you know, your people you work with, people you see every day, they're going to see, hopefully they see Christ in you, all right? Because eventually you'll be the person they go to. They may talk about you, but you'll be the person they go to when they need prayer, all right? Which is true. Have your leaves withered? Go back to the stream of living water. And then the verse also ends with whatever he does prospers. And don't, let's not get that twisted and, and turn it into some type of like, you know, uh, prosperity gospel because it's not. Okay? Um, it isn't that the righteous man has a modest touch and everything he does makes him rich and comfortable, said a, uh, uh, a theologian. said, but in the life of the righteous man, God brings forth something good and wonderful out of everything. Even tough circumstances bring forth uh, something that shall prosper. And, you know, I've seen where students who, who died too young, you know, and, they, and, and I've gone to funerals where, uh, of young kids where a bunch of students gave their life to Christ for it. So I'm not talking about some type of prosperity gospel. But in Psalm chapter 1, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked are contrasted. And last, let's look at the permanency of the blessed man, verses 4 and 5. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like shaft that the wind blows away. They're gone. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment or sinners in the sin of the righteous. This is the part of the psalm where we see, quote, quote, unquote, the other side. We see pretty quickly in verse 4 that the wicked are like shaft, that the wind blows away quickly. They aren't permanent. There's insecurity there. And I don't know about you, but I like security. You know, uh, even last night, we, there was like the girls, Sally and the girls, noticed like four or five drones up in the sky out where we live. It freaked out all my girls. All right, even my wife, okay, freaked them all out last night. I'm like, baby, we, y'all, we okay. All right, we'll be all right. All right, now, I have no idea why, why there are drones out there. Maybe somebody can give us an answer sometime. But anyway, um, but, uh, you know, we, we like to feel safe. A girl's like, Daddy, will you walk with me to my room? Yes, baby, I'll walk with you. And I'll go tuck you in like I always do. But we like, we, we like security. We as humans generally like that idea of safety and security. We see the dangerous place of the ungodly and the dangerous future of the ungodly as we're getting close here to the end. We are living in a day where people are not sure what's right and wrong. Amen? God is sure. His Word doesn't change. Have you ever walked on snow or ice, by the way? Has anyone ever tried to? Like ice? You know, the first time I did it, man, in Tennessee was when I got saved, actually. Chattanooga, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. It might be why I got saved. I don't know, man. But anyway, it was happening to be right there. Man, I was like walking and stuff. I was slipping. We were all falling like crazy. You know? Spurgeon says on, on Shaft, he says, it's intrinsically worthless, dead, unserviceable, without substance, and easily carried away. That's a huge difference between a shaft and a tree, isn't it? That's a place I don't want to be. And then we see the dangerous future of the ungodly. It may seem at times that the ungodly are quote-unquote winning in life. It feels that way sometimes. But they're fleeing. It doesn't last. And there is a judgment. There is a judgment. Let's look at verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leaves the ruin. Like we mentioned earlier, the way is important. And, and however simple it may be, I, I don't know about you, but I definitely want the Lord to watch over my way. Amen? All the time. There's a poem by William Ernest Henley. I used to do this uh, when I taught uh, English 
uh, at the beginning of the year, I would give them a poem, we would do poetry. Um, and it, it was really more of a, like a motivational unit, you know, trying to get them pumped up. And I'll have all, i find all these poems or sayings or quotes, you know, like that was really motivational. And uh, if, you, if you've never read um, Invictus by, by William Ernest Henley, has anyone ever read that? It's, it's really good. Uh, as far as I'm pumping you up and uh, and all, it was apparently uh, it was apparently a uh, the poem that um, oh gosh Nelson Mandela apparently would would quote when he was in prison, but it's not the Bible, okay? But uh, and there's some things in there that I do like. What he says, you know, he says my my head is bloody but unbowed. I'm gonna keep on fighting. I like that, but it saddens me that he ends that William Ernest Henley ends the poem by saying. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments to scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I, I get what he's trying to say, you know, to keep fighting. If you, ever, if you read the poem in context, he's talking about just don't quit, just keep going. But man, what a sad statement about life if you're the master of your fate, if you're the captain of your soul. I tried to be the captain of my soul for a long time. It didn't work. It saddens me. Because, see, there's a much better captain than I, than I am. Right? You know, have you ever seen those, uh, those old, you were back in the 90s, they had those old stickers that said, God is my co-pilot. Hey, I, hope he's your, I hope he's your pilot. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, he needs to be in charge of it. Um, so as we finish up here and ask Mr. Lawrence to come up, thing is, many of the people live just that way. We talked about entering through the narrow gate in Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. Talking about how wide the narrow, I mean, the gate is that leads to, uh, leads to destruction. And then Proverbs says, the hope of the righteous is joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. I also want joy. And, and you'll notice there's something else I want to kind of add as I kind of geek out a little bit, but Spurgeon says that uh, in, the, in the Hebrew, uh, it's actually... It's actually translated, really, the Lord is knowing the way of the righteous. Let me repeat that. The Lord is knowing the way of the righteous. That was the original Hebrew. I kind of like that better because he is con- it means he's constantly looking at your way. Now, he doesn't just know it. He's knowing it as you walk, if that makes sense. It may be in the midst of the darkness, yet the Lord knoweth, said uh, Spurgeon. So again, it's contrast. So what about you? Do you know him? See, the reality is that we can't be the blessed man in this passage on our own. We can try, but we will not succeed. The gospel is that Jesus was that person. He was that person. He is our substitute. At least four times in the book of Acts, Christianity is called the way. Does y'all know that? It's called the way. We talk about, well, certainly it is the way of the righteous, not the way of the ungodly. Which way are you on? Do you know him? And what about you, as a, you Christian, as you, as you make a decision today as we close out? There's a, a lady named Jen Wilkin. Some of y'all may know her. She's a, a Christian writer. She writes a book called Women of the Word. And in, the, in it, she says this. We will not wake up 10 years from now and have accidentally taken on the character of God. Christian holiness is not instantaneous, but I do know this, church. Our life direction is never neutral. We're always given to something. May we become a vast field of strong, fruit-bearing trees to the glory of God. Because we may think that we're in neutral, but we're not. Okay? You're going to go in one, of, in one of two directions. Which way are you headed? All right. Hopefully it's toward Christ.
as we come and ask uh, Miss Sally to lead us. Page 524. 